have a very Merry Christmas. So uh, your lady live out here? About the past six months. Why you go with her, man? What's up? Because I'm a New York cop. Can't just pick up and go that easy. John, I missed you. or be carried out, but have no illusions, we are in charge. Think, damn it, think. We've got a fire alarm. I thought I told all of you I want radio silence. Sorry, I didn't get that message. Mayday, terrorists have seized the Nakatomi Plaza. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Check the area confirmed. No signs of disturbance, dispatch. Welcome to the party, pal! Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee guy. You hang in there. Mount to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. yippee ki motherfuckers! Welcome back to Let's See That Again. This week, we're unwrapping the 1988 holiday blockbuster, Die Hard. I'm Dan Sullivan, and uh, I'm joined, as always, by my silent knight, Mr. Andrew Gonzalez. Welcome to the party, Dan. And this week, we have a special guest as well joining us, our dear friend, Nicole. Hello, hello. All right, Andrew, this one was your pick. Yes, so, it was, uh, my friend. What made you decide to take a look at Die Hard again? So this was mainly my pick because going down to this is our second Christmas-themed episode, and I just wanted to get down to the brass tacks of the age-old question, Die Hard from 1988, is it a Christmas movie? And also, we'll, we're going to go over all the facts that this glorious fucking piece of filmography is this fucking movie watch it every year for christmas and it's just and i'm gonna say it right now like we're gonna get into it and i'm sure we may all be thinking the same thing this is a fucking christmas movie uh yeah yes absolutely emphatic yes and nicole again thank you for joining us and you know uh as dan would ask what we usually ask each other you know, when we when I told you what movies we were doing for Christmas, you were like, oh, Die Hard. Yeah, I'm in on that. So my main question is for you. What is this movie to you and what is your history? You know, it's really funny because I was I was thinking about that earlier today about where my love for this movie started. And I can't quite pinpoint it because it came out when I was very young, like too young to really enjoy it when it came out. Right. And I don't exactly know when the first time I saw it was because it also feels like it's a movie that's just been a part of my life for a very long time. And what I imagine likely happened was 
my parents split when I was pretty young and my dad always let us watch a lot of stuff that my mom wouldn't let us watch. So my guess is at some point my dad let us watch this movie as young kids and it was probably just a movie that I enjoyed for fun and eventually became part of my like Christmas movie repertoire, like the ones that I have to watch every year. And I'm not exactly sure how that evolution happened, but <laughs> it's um definitely like a, a favorite of mine. So I'm excited to be talking about it today. Yeah, it's one of the one of the movies I have to watch every year, too. It's usually it's usually one of the first that I watch to kind of kick off the holiday season. I feel like it's a nice, nice way to to start everything off is, you know, Bruce Willis with no shoes on running around blowing up European terrorists for two and a half hours. But not all of them are European. No. Well, in uh because they're because their German was like so bad in Germany they're just described as being from like generic like Europe <laughs> because their grammar and like I don't even think they spoke German actually. When they speak to each other, sometimes they'll say stuff in German and I guess if you actually spoke fluent German, the way that they said it it was like very like the way they pronounced things were off and the grammar was all wrong. <laughs> Um, so when they aired it in Germany, they didn't, they, they weren't German terrorists. Well, the funny thing is, uh, you know, we're talking about them being German and stuff like that. Um, Bruce Willis has actually joked many times that he thinks it's funny that he pl- supposed to play this all American <laughs> type character when actually he used to joke that he was more German than half the German terrorists in this movie because he was actually born in Germany. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, his um, mother was German, and I believe his father was from America. Okay, but yeah, I, I, the, you know, I recently found this out too, and I'm like, oh, that's that's fucking ridiculous. Now this movie, <clears throat> well, I had it right here. <laughs> yes, I have so many notes on different pages, which is what I should have not done. Uh, so I, as I usually say, you know, I give a summary for this, but come on, you, most people have had to have seen this fucking movie. Uh, the summary is a New York City policeman, John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, is visiting a strained wife, Bonnie Bedelia, woo woo, and two daughters on Christmas Eve. That is not correct, because I believe he has one daughter and a son. Yeah, they must have changed that. And his yeah. wife's name is Holly. Right. That's uh, Bonnie's that the Bonnie Bedelia's the actress. Oh. He I joined- clearly, I clearly also maybe <laughs> this is another reason this movie has sat with me for so long. But I did have a, and may still, I had a childhood crush on Bruce Willis. So that's possible why. Me too. We all we all, <laughs> we all did. Um, he so clearly, jo- I didn't really care what Holly's name really was. <laughs> oh, but I sorry, had a, Bonnie Bedelia. Oh, what's her face? Ah, I had a huge crush on, crush on Mrs. McLean. Um, so really, <laughs> really? Hmm. what you don't think body Bedelia man yeah. at that point at the end, close to the end when she's like her shirts unbuttoned and she's all distraught and she's got some like cleavage showing. You're like, damn, Bonnie Bedelia, you got that going on. You just like women in distress. Like, huh? The original yeah. milf is what you're the saying. The original milf. I'm that's a shirt right there. <laughs> Bonnie B, the original milf. Die hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
So he joins her at a holiday party in the headquarters of the Japanese-owned business she works for. But the festivities... Oh my god, I can't read also. But the festivities are interrupted by a group of terrorists who The vasectomy was interrupted. (laughs) ...who take over the exclusive high-rise and everyone in it. Very soon, McLean realizes that there's no one to save the hostages but him. This movie was released on July 22nd, 1988 which a lot of people argue is one of the reasons that this is not a Christmas movie. Uh, It was directed by Christmas in July. Come on. Yeah. Come on. July 22nd. That's like two days away from July Christmas Eve. Like Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. Yeah. (laughs) Summer Christmas Eve. This is directed by John McTiernan and the music by Michael Kamen. It was adapted from the novel. Nothing lasts forever. Um, well, novel or actually was that the Frank Sinatra? No, that was the detective going off on a rant there. Yeah, uh, the novel. The, the novel, novel was, was nothing lasts last forever. forever. Yeah, uh, the budget for this movie was twenty-five to thirty-five million. Dan, do you know how much this made in the box office? Oh uh, yeah, I actually heard that the I thought the budget was twenty-eight million, but the the uh, the box office was like just over 140 million. It was like 141.5. Cor- correct. Uh yeah, when I looked at the budget, it just everywhere just kept saying 25 to 35 and I'm like, sure Google. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of swing like estimates and swings on this movie. Yeah. And you know what's funny, Dan? Gremlins was released in June of 1984, which was also a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And then this movie's released in July. Was that a thing in the 80s? Like <clears throat> Maybe because the no, not Fourth of July. I mean, I know traditionally a lot of the the bigger budget movies were released in the summer because that's when they would get bigger attendances in movie theaters and stuff like that because kids were on summer break and all that. Um, But also, this movie wasn't even though the director would agree that it is a Christmas movie, it wasn't intended to be as such. Right when they when they made it, so they were probably just keeping up with their original schedule and didn't because. You know, they will. I'm sure we'll talk about how quickly things were changing on set as they were filming. And um, I'm sure a lot of this story, you know, evolved in the moment. And they probably didn't necessarily know how much that Christmas was going to play into it until Mm -hmm. they were like days before shooting it. And um, I think that's probably why it was still released in July, but is still considered. For, by many people, a Christmas movie. I I think I agree with you on that one because yeah. um they're probably because there have there are certain things in this that they added to be like well why did John do this like so this was probably a way to get John to be like why would John be at this building why would he be at her work there would be no other more reason <clears throat> than having a Christmas party um and you know you said that the director would probably agree that this is a Christmas movie. This is, he does, but there's a there's a certain person that actually disagrees. I've been attacked by terrorists, asteroids, film critics, music critics, restaurant critics, divorce lawyers, male pattern baldness, and none of it, none of it stopped me because I am still Bruce fucking Willis. People ask me why I did this roast. Was it because one of the last guys who did it became president? Hell no. 
Why would I want to be president when I can just keep being Bruce fucking Willis? I did this roast for one reason and for one reason only, to settle something once and for all. Now, please listen very carefully. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's a goddamn Bruce Willis movie. yippee-ki-yay to all of you motherfuckers. I'm going to have to say that that's the first time I've ever heard that. And again, Bruce Willis, special place in my heart. But I'm going to have to say that I think he's wrong. He's totally wrong. I think he's wrong. He was very humble in that speech, though, I got to (laughs) say. Yeah. That was the 19. That was the 2019 roast of Bruce Willis, uh, you know, and and uh, yeah, he was just. So he's just lashing out at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Like, fuck you. It's not a Christmas movie. But but no offense to Bruce Willis. Like, no, fuck Bruce Willis. I can't even say his name. You don't know how to say his name. The the tool in which the message is being passed. You didn't create the message. Exactly. So, you know. Well, technically, the, the director says it's a Christmas movie. It's a well, Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. It's a, like like Andrew said, it's at a Christmas party. Almost every room has Christmas decorations. I have decorations. a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. I yep. mean. Constant references to Santa, Rudolph, Frosty. He asked for Christmas music in the very mm-hmm. beginning. Tapes. Like, a gun some, to himself with Christmas tape. <laughs> Reginald Bell Johnson singing a Christmas song <clears throat> as he walks out to his car. Like, it's a Christmas movie. What was that Run DMC like Christmas around? Oh, uh, Christmas Christmas time in Hollis. I yeah. think it is. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that's playing in like the within the first like two minutes. Yeah, when Argyle picks him up. Argyle, what a character! Right, Argyle's definitely smoking weed in that limo downstairs. Ride or die, kind of. <laughs> kind of literally. Argyle's the man. Yes. Uh, Andrew, I think this is our first R-rated movie, right? Um, is it? I don't think we've done an R rating yet. I was trying to think of that. Was Cool World not R rated? Because <laughs> it should have been. I don't know. If I think that even, was. I don't I, know if anyone even rated Cool World. <laughs> we did. <laughs> In a way, anyone that got paid. I'm checking yeah. it out right now. No, that movie was PG thirteen. Yeah, cartoon boobs are okay. I mean, this one's got like real boobs within a couple minutes, so it's definitely a you know one of the more adult Christmas films. Oh yeah. 100%. And I was actually going to say back to what Nicole said when she said like, oh, you know, this is what the director tended to be uh, um, cr- like intended to be Christmassy, but I'm pretty sure the original writer wrote it then they fired him and got someone else and they rewrote half of this fucking movie. Yeah, they wanted a funnier guy, right? Like the first yeah. guy wasn't funny enough or something. Yeah, it was. Uh, so it was originally, like like you said, it was based on a, a novel by Roderick Thorpe and then the screenplay the screenplay was first getting worked on by a guy named uh, Jeb Stewart, and he did like uh, the Fugitive, like you know, serious movies like that. Oh wow! Um, and it wasn't really working, so they decided to hire uh, Steve Souza, who's done like uh, the Flintstones with John Goodman, and but he also Classic. did like he also did like Judge Dredd and like 
the Street Fighter movie. I am the law. Um, wow, you really w- naming some winners with this guy. <laughs> the Street Fighter movie, <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop Three. I mean, he, so so clearly, you know, he, he's he's the guy. He's got for- some some chops. You know, uh, they liked him enough that they let him do Die Hard too. He so. did a good job, though. Yeah. I'll tell you that. You know. Are you are you knocking the Flintstones movie with John Goodman? Dude? No, I said classic, man. We're it's fucking classic. covering that at All some right. t- point. Right. Yabba dabba do. Yeah, Getting I was, all worked up here. I was reading that when he was doing his rewrites, he was only pages ahead of the shooting schedule. Yeah. Like that's how quickly things were changing to get his like additional layer into the when the when he picked up the project, they were already filming and they only had 33 pages for a script. So they're like, you have to just write another, like, I think it was like another 99 or something like that. Um, So that's why there's like continuity errors. Like if you notice in the beginning when they all get out of that big truck. (laughs) The ambulance. Yeah, the ambulance. Like later on, like it's just, it's not in the truck in the beginning of the movie. And it's because they just didn't write it at that point. They didn't figure out at that point. They didn't know how they were getting out of the building. Right. They knew that they had to blow up the top of the building and they knew they had to figure out how the villains were planning to escape, but they didn't actually have that written down yet. Didn't seem to bother a lot of people. Uh, It was movie magic. It was definitely a lot of movie magic and duct tape made this film. (laughs) (laughs) I almost thought you you were going to say duck tails. Woo. Get up. Now, like, um, when this movie came out, I don't know if you guys know too, like uh, there was a lot of um, like, they were really use they were really worried about using Bruce Willis. John McTiernan was just like like this is this is the soap opera comedy guy. Like he was in that show Moonlighting where he was like right. a comic relief and two movies he did before this uh bombed miserably. Like nobody saw He, he dressed as a like a giant baby in Moonlighting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did you ever see those images? Yeah. Yeah, yeah wearing a diaper. They're yeah. fucking ridiculous. And he also was like doing like wine cooler commercials and stuff like that. Wine coolers were good. <laughs> and, and Bruce Willis was singing in them, by the way, because, you know, he had that band, Bruno. You ever hear Bruno? No. I saw him oh singing in the commercials, God. but I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't he know he had a band. Oh, I forgot to, to check that all out. Right, I forgot to cue this up, but I'm going to I'm going to put this I'm going to put this on right now and it's going to record because it's fucking amazing. So he used to have a band. And it was called. Um, you just said Bruno, right? It was called Bruno, but it was like Bru- oh, the Return of Bruno was the name of the album. The Return of Bruno the was re- their first album. Yes. All right. <laughs> Solid. Here's him. They cut. Co- he covers Under the Boardwalk. This may be a little loud. Hey, what's up, fellas? Hanging out down here with us under the boardwalk. Let's throw down. When the sun beats down and melts the Bruno Bruce Willis himself. Download this right now. I think my biggest regret in life is going to be never seeing Bruce Willis. So I, live. <laughs> I had a friend that was like obsessed with Bruce Willis and he had that on cassette. Was his name Andrew? 
Yes. Because <laughs> I was my only friend. Uh, but yeah, he returned to Bruno. So that that's what he was doing. And, you know, they were just worried like that. It was I mean, rightfully work. so. That doesn't really fit the mold of the typical action star. Well, when they were mainly completely done filming, they 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 cut a trailer and they t- showed it to a test audience and they laughed mm-hmm. because they were just like this guy because at this time like um you know that this is the director that did uh Predator. Yep. So like at this point when they think action star, they think like Arnold Schwarzenegger like uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, <laughs> Schwarzenegger. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're confusing a couple of things. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, there you go. And uh, like you know, just big beefy dudes. And but what they really wanted to do in this is be like, no, we want like a a normal guy, like somebody that you're gonna believe is actually gonna be like normal and not just busting through walls and shooting everybody up. Yeah, I think what happened too is they um they tried to get those guys originally. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, they were obligated to offer the part to Frank Sinatra. First. Yes, yep. that is but true. Old blue, old blue eyes. eyes was a little too old, and uh, you know, didn't they didn't want to be dealing with you know car chases on wheels. It's like I'm in my sixties and I'm yeah. filthy rich. It was so he passed. But they did try to get Arnold. They did try to get Sylvester Stallone. But they all thought that the character that was written was too wimpy. Um, and they right. were like these big beefy guys, and they're like, all this guy True. does is hide and try to get back up. Like we don't, we don't do that. We we kick ass. So they ended up with Bruce Willis, who actually got paid bank Five for this million job, million dollars, which made him book. the highest paid actor in Hollywood at the time, and changed how future actors would get paid because, like, you got guys like, you know, I think I read that like Richard Gere was like, I'm on the sequel to a kick-ass film that already did well, and I'm not getting paid that. I want to get paid. So it really just sort of evolved all of that stuff for those actors in Hollywood. Well, like you said, this was supposed to be a sequel to The Detective with Frank Sinatra, but it just, it took so long for them to get it off the ground. And then they just, it just never happened. Imagine Frank Sinatra. In I know, this I was role. just going to say that. And apparently, it's such a different film. <laughs> it was supposed to end with Frank Sinatra accidentally dropping his granddaughter from the building. What? So they were like, yeah, this isn't going to test that well. That would have been terrible. Yeah. And, the, and quite a few famous actors got asked to be in this movie before um, Mr. Bruce Willis, which I kind of missed when I said, oh, they were looking for somebody, you know, less beefy. We had Richard Gere, Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm saying it, Clint Eastwood, Robert De Niro, Charles Bronson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Burt Reynolds, and Michael Madsen. And then we got Bruce Willis. How many of these actors do you think, guys, is fucking kicking themselves? Or do you think it would work no. without Bruce Willis? I don't think it would have worked with anyone else but Bruce. No, I think that's part of it is that it was like an un an unknown. So you it it added to the believability. An everyday of what man this character, that was yeah, super exactly. relatable, having family troubles, trying to work it out at the holidays, like. And I like that they even throw in a little reference to like some of the people that passed like passed it up because I think Hans like mentions Rambo at one point. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm pretty sure John says something about. What Schwarzenegger? Yeah, he says, "Are you gonna blow us, blow us up like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, uh, like the Schwarzenegger, <laughs> like those Schwarzenegger movies?" <laughs> you know, because that's uh, 
Nah, nah. Swartz Nader 2, Grudgement Day. I was going to make a Nader joke, and I'm, nah. Ralph Nader? Yes. Forgot that man existed. <laughs> I'm sure I most of the world forgot that man existed. That's why the joke wouldn't work. What was that, Nicole? I immediately busted out into a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, we don't want to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> There's some things I'm a we Swiftie. can get away with. She wouldn't sue us. You're a just, Swifty? Yeah. I don't know. She might tweet about us like she did about Jake Gyllenhaal or something like that. I'm hearing something about. No, she didn't tweet about him. She wrote, she a, wrote song a 10 minute song about 10 him. 10 years ago and then finally released it and it's dope as hell. So we can it, do a podcast it, about that another day. Isn't it 10 day. minutes long? It, it is, is 10 minutes long. And it is glorious. How do you know, Dan? Because I watched it today. She was on SNL. She did a short film. Oh my God. Her SNL live performance was. I watched that this morning. Kiss. Yep. Sorry. Wow. Well, Devin, uh, Devin's a Swifty. Oh, my. I did not know this. Yep. Didn't, you guys used to watch Hannah Montana all the time, right? <gasps> yep. I loved Hannah Montana. I'd go over their house at Doom House, and they'd be like, Just bong well, rips and Disney Channel, baby. Devin and I might have been separated at birth. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Wizards insane. of Waverly Place and some bong rips. It's a great day. Because <laughs> it's just so trash stupid. <laughs> so we good. <laughs> so we briefly went over the cast in this movie, and- Unbelievable cast. We got Bonnie Bedelia. We got Reginald Vell Johnson. We got Paul Gleason. And then we have the master of villainy himself, Alan fucking Rickman, who this was his first movie. They found him doing an, a villain in some sort of like Shakespearean play. Yeah, he was like on Broadway, right? Yeah, yeah he was like yeah. 42. And he was, was like, he, yeah, 42. And he was like dressed in like, you know, high socks and like, you know, looking like a colonial dude. And I mean, just... it's cool that this movie basically made the careers of both him and Bruce Willis yeah. at the same time. Oh, yeah. Because it, I, like I said earlier, I think that kind of lends to the believability of these characters is you haven't really seen them in anything else. And they both just went like all. But he, he first turned down this role because it was like mainly his second day in California. And then like he was like, I'm going to be typecast as the villain forever, which he it did. It did boost his career, but it is true that he was mainly known for playing villains or wanting to play villains. And he kind of regretted that. Stop being so good at it. It's true. Yeah, he was kind of made for it. So yeah. I'm not really sure. Stop sounding was. like that if you don't want to be a villain. <laughs> I'm Alan Rickman. Yeah, you, was, you had a creepy voice, bro. Like, what were people supposed to do with you? I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter, because you know he played Snape. Right. Yeah. The only thing I've ever seen him be like a a good a good guy in was Dogma. Oh my god, I forgot about that film until just now. I love Dogma. Wow, what oh, a great such a film. Good fuck. When Kevin Smith used to make good movies mm, instead of just like burger pop ups. Yeah. Ugh, he's he's fucking awful. But I still love him. Or sequels to his movies that nobody watches anymore. I mean, I'm definitely mm. going to watch the next Clerks movie. Oh, yeah, I, I, I yep. am too. <laughs> but, like, Hoosers was awful, and Tusk was an abomination. I kind of like the new Jay and Silent Bob remake. I didn't see it. It was funny. I mean, you know, it, it's what you expect from a Jay and Silent Bob movie. We should definitely do, like, a, a, Kevin's, a few Kevin Smith movies. I'd like to do a lot of those. I think uh, Clerks was on our original list. It was actually because Kat's never seen it, and I want to make her watch it. So we're, we're gonna be we're gonna be doing a, a list. We gotta redo a list after school. Christmas, huh? That's how influential it was. What was? We actually studied Clerks in one of my film classes. 
Well, because the thing about Clerks is is that, you know, it was an independent film made by somebody just working a concession stand, run up a bunch of credit cards, and make a film with everybody <laughs> in this town, and it became fucking huge. But we're, we'll get to that on another episode. Another <laughs> person I wanted to bring up who is also known for being a good villain, villain, a villain, villain is William Atherton. The dick from Ghostbusters? The dick from Ghostbusters. Plays you, Thornburg in this movie. That's pretty much why he got the job on this was because, like, they were like, wow, he was an unbelievable dick in Ghostbusters. Is he the reporter? He's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's the guy in Ghostbusters that shuts them down. He ad-libbed the, uh, did you get that after getting punched yeah. in the face? <laughs> that was perfect. I fucking love that scene. And I think in part two, him and Bonnie Bedelia's character are sitting on a plane together the whole time. The whole time? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I've only seen two once. I don't care for the sequels. I like the third one a lot, actually. Actually, I haven't seen that in a while, but that was one of my VHSs I had, you know, in my pile of VHSs when I was younger. So I don't remember that one, but Samuel L. Jackson's in that one, right? Yeah. He is. So, Dan, should we do a breakdown of this movie? I mean, you already gave like a synopsis. You mean kind of just like a walkthrough? Yeah, go, go, let's let's take a walk through the the feet of John McClane. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to start because it does open with like the whole uh, fist with your, with your toes scene on the airplane where the guy's talking about that. And basically the whole purpose of that is just to get his shoes off once he gets to Nakatomi Plaza so that you can do the the glass everywhere and um i also noticed that you can totally just smoke in airports in the 80s yeah it, what's up with that the second he gets off the plane he's just lighting up a butt just walking around you can smoke anywhere in the 80s yeah i'm surprised he wasn't smoking on the plane that would have been really badass he doesn't care he's smoking in air he's like it's okay i'm a cop from brooklyn 11 <laughs> I, years i know what i'm doing <laughs> I, I did think it was weird that like so it it this guy he flew on the plane with this guy this whole time and it wasn't until they landed that the guy's like oh you're afraid of flying huh like well maybe it wasn't bumpy till the end yeah but he was on the ground why was he scared then because uh, well they were landing and and honestly how do you know that the wheels are going to come out of the plane you don't know that like the pilot might know but you don't as you can hear it but what if the gears get stuck and you're landing belly side flat like sparks that's scary. flying yeah so i understand <sighs> bruce willis's fear that's uh, all i'm saying you mean john mcclain yeah I think that was just mainly action now to think of it just to make it be like, yeah, he doesn't like heights. I think it's just to also make him human, you know, like we all have fears like mm-hmm. this guy that that just goes to show the opposite of what they were used to seeing in the 80s. Are these big tough guys that aren't afraid of anything. Well, no, all humans are afraid of something. This guy's a badass cop from New York and he's afraid of flying. It just, you know, someone I don't think that they necessarily had this intention, but it was interesting to see the conversation evolve around how. Bruce Willis's character broke down, you know, these concepts of, of of toxic masculinity and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it conversation really evolved over over time. I think. Yeah, his character is very much like a like an everyman. Yeah, they. I feel like there's a lot of subtle hints that they throw in to to show that too. Like even when he gets picked up at the airport, instead of riding in the back of the limo, he rides up front. Yeah. Like so that he can talk to Argyle instead of being like 
because everyone else would get in the back of a limo and put the partition up and start drinking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad you brought that up because to think of it, and I didn't think of this till now, you notice that John McClane likes, he he's a talker. He kind of like talks to people and the way he talks to people, it's like he's trying to understand them. Well, he's a, a cop. More. In that, you don't see that though in a lot of like movies, even nowadays, like showing like light things of he's still kind of doing that detective work. You know what I'm saying? There was one thing that I found a bit perplexing about his character because it never necessarily, nothing becomes of it in the film, in my opinion. But at the very beginning when he's either getting on or off the plane, I remember that he has this moment with a flight attendant that's like very flirty. And I always thought that to be strange because he seems so committed to his wife and, you know, traveling all this way to attempt to have some sort of reconciliation with his family for the holidays but he has this like sexual chemistry with this like random flight attendant but like that there's nothing else to do with it so it's it's, like a strange piece to put in the film in my opinion i don't know that was that was actually a um it was it was a nod to the original uh novel the nothing lasts forever because there were several chapters where he had like a like a fling with a, a stewardess. So, so he was a that. shitty person. Yeah. I don't like that. So they, I'm glad that they didn't expand further. So they kind of just incorporated that into the Ew, they could have left the, it the out, screenplay, though. but instead of making it like such a huge character flaw, they're like, well, he just kind of like. That might be why his wife was. Maybe that was like a hint as to why his wife was in California and LA and he's in New York. Yeah. So. Might, yeah. Because it, it doesn't Ew, make sense. I never knew just that. Be like, oh, I got a new job and like, see ya. Like, Something else might have happened. Why did that just ruin my crush on Bruce Willis a little bit? Well, they did say. Breaking dreams here every episode. (laughs) Well, I feel like, you know, they did kind of say that, like, um, it, it, he, he always, his job always came first. And the fact that, like, he would have to be home more if she took this job. Six months back, he'd have to go to a complete. He's going to think of it. He's a newer cop. He knows his street. He knows his route. He knows that town. And now he's going to have to get up and go to California. So he's got to change his job. And he's not happy about that. Yeah. Our guy, our guy called him out on his shit. He was like, oh, so you thought that she was just going to get tired of being out here without you. Ha ha. And And he just called it, called it like he saw it. I respected that. You know what I wish they did? They did more with that teddy bear. Like, I feel like there could have been a, a lot of cool, funny action scenes with that fucking teddy bear. I think the, there was probably a lot that just got lost because they were, again, writing rewrites just pages ahead of filming schedule, which is not. I mean, 120 page script is about 120 minute film. So yep. you have to think about like how not far ahead they really were. And they were. Flying by the scene on the pants. So there's a lot of fun stories that exist as to how, you know, as the crew kind of grew closer, that evolved some of the script even. Like the the most famous line of the film came from a conversation that, you know, D'Souza, was that what the second writer's last name uh, was? Yes. D'Souza. Yeah. And and Bruce Willis had had early on on their, their love about like these old westerns and stuff like that. So it really is kind of interesting to see like you mentioned those you know continuity issues at the beginning yep you know a lot of that existed because of that and i think a lot got left behind but i think you know what they probably created in its in its place you know was worth it we got some of those iconic 
yeah, exactly. pieces. Like, you know. Yeah, and, and great scenes that were actually accidents, like when he slips in the vent. Yep. That was actually a stuntman that just fucking... In the whoop. elevator shaft. Yeah. Can you imagine? That must have been terrifying. They're like, oh my God, we got to redo that. No, it actually it looks yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Or um, Alan Rickman um, had to fall actually from, you know, when he, in the end when he's, you know, spoiler alert, anyone, if you haven't oh, seen it, a what? sin, but, you know, he when dies? He, yeah, is he okay? When he's, you know, hanging on by the ledge and he, and he falls that, you know, down that building, they wanted that to look real. So they, he had to legitimately fall 40 feet into a giant blue airbag. And they told him, we're going to go one, two, three, go. The stunt director said, you know, do it on two. So the fear that you see in Alan Rickman's face is genuine and sincere because he was not prepared to fall backwards 40 feet. It's to, real terror in his eyes. Perfect. Yeah, which is insane, by the way, that these like, you know, at the time, borderline nobodies in Hollywood willing to risk their like safety and lives to do these insane stunts because that was another thing that made it such a phenomenal action film was like a lot of the the stunt work that happened. So yeah, I think that was kind of neat. Yeah, I also like liked the uh, like I guess irony that Hans Gruber dies in the exact same way that Snape kills Dumbledore, like falling to his death from a tower. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. Do you think like, that oh they God. knew that when they made the oh come the on. Harry Potter? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> We're like, all right. So Dumbledore is going to be wearing a Rolex. <laughs> I did. Think Snape's going to take it off of him and he's just going to fall. All the little things that bring back as a nod is that fucking Rolex. When uh, what's Cokie McGee's name? Ellis. Ellis is like, show him the watch. It's a Rolex. It's a Rolex. And I thought it would have been funny if like on it, on it, you find out later it's not a real Rolex because of that clip. It's a Bolex. It's a Bolex. Well, I did like uh, Bruce Willis's reaction where he's like, oh, I'll see it later. And it actually was like the pivotal piece that yeah. he undoes to kill the villain. Yeah, I, that uh, that's, uh, yeah, the watch and the way they just like, he the way he clips it. I always thought that scene was ridiculously funny. Death by Rolex. So, <clears throat> Mr. McLean gets to the party. He finds out that Holly is not uh, going by Holly McLean anymore. What a kick in the balls. I also, like, but I, I know he was cheating on her, but as we, don't we just know learned. That. We don't, we don't well, think my so. My big question at the beginning of the movie was, so when he gets there and he goes up to the guy at the front desk... They like make him look up her name so that they can see where he is. And then they're like, oh, yeah, 14th floor, like the holiday, the holiday party or whatever. Like that's where everyone is. And it's like, if that's where everyone in the building is, why did I have to look up where she was? You sure it wasn't to like check in to make sure he got the name right? No, because he got it wrong. Yeah, because he looked up the wrong one. Like he said, Holly, Holly McLean. And then he's like, all right, well, let me look it up. And then he's like, oh, she's on the 14th floor. This movie really tries really hard to be like to push in things they want you to get like like how can we make it that he knows that she is keeping her maiden name and like the hint to the audience that there's some problems in I think they could have done that more subtly though and had it just like a nameplate on her desk or something but they wanted to show you the cool technology that uh, you know this tower wow so cool (laughs) Alphabetical order. It was touchscreen too, wasn't it? 
I don't know. But I think those questions that you're asking, they literally had to ask because they were rewriting so quickly again. So, I, you know, they were like, how how can we get, you know, Hans and that's know, not Detective a good McClain excuse to, to meet. <laughs> right. Without without them, you know, killing each other because we we want John McClain to, you know, jump down the side of the building with a fire hose. And a lot of that stuff was happening just, you know, in the moment. So oh, yeah. that's why you get these like things that aren't maybe as effective as they could have been, I feel. Yeah, they decided to do like the that interaction scene that you're talking about because they like offset on like on a random happenstance. They asked Alan Rickman if he could do an American accent. He's like, well, I can't really do an American accent, but I can do. A California accent. <laughs> Which is so hilarious. <laughs> That's like what everyone always says they can do, though. Yeah, right? dude. Yeah. Radical. <laughs> you sound like a southerner. Radical. Like, well, that's it. That's his. That's an English actor doing the impression of a German doing the impression of an American. It was beautiful. It really was. I thought that uh, I thought it was really cool, too. Um, the whole that whole interaction between Hans and, and John where they're like trying to figure each other out the first time they meet face to face. I don't know if you noticed, but like basically every shot in that scene is like a Dutch angle too. Oh, okay. So a, a Dutch angle is, is more like your head. It, it, it gives the impression that your head is like slightly tilted to the side and it's supposed to give the, um, the feeling of just like general unease and like suspicion or confusion. You know? Exactly. Like it so it's like another like, oh, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> and it's and that's the I noticed that that is the only like set of shots in the whole film that uses a Dutch. I've angle. never and caught like, that. That's so fascinating. I, yeah, I was like, oh, that's really cool that they just throw in like that kind of just little visual tease that like something's off. So here. neat. Yeah. So neat. Now that you mention it, I kind of feel like it does kind of have like that side look kind of angle. Yeah, with like kind of vertical, a lot of like vertical lines kind of going out in different directions. Yeah, that that's that's a great scene. And what you guys were talking about, Nicole, you were saying that like that scene. Well, or Dan was saying that scene was mainly added so that like when Han says shoot the windows, it's that's how he found out that John McClane was not wearing shoes. So when he says that, we get that lovely fucking scene of him pulling large pieces of glass out of his feet mm-hmm. which still make me oh, fucking yeah. cringe every all the blood time everywhere I too see it Ugh. Ugh. i don't even like stepping on like a pebble i read that they had like an insane budget just for a glass <laughs> i can it was, like 180 grand oh, in there glass there's a, there a lot of glass going everywhere in this movie yeah and he oh, wore like and- fake little feet slip-ons sometimes yeah. they recorded <laughs> all of this well most of it in a Fox building, which which you know owned the movie, mm-hmm. but like in these empty floors that were still being under construction, Built, yeah. and there were like lawyers and other corporate stuff, like actual business happening in this building when they're filming. So when they're blowing shit up or they're using machine guns, like the the lawyers are getting pissed and like no, like you can't do this until after five. So they had to use like fake guns that didn't make any noise during the day when they were filming and wait for all the loud stuff to be after and then the neighbors would complain because they're blowing shit up uh, at night so like it was just a wild filming schedule yeah i thought it was cool that the um 
like the under construction portions of the building were legitimately just under construction yeah. and like they kind of worked out the choreography for the fight scenes and stuff based on they did like a walkthrough to kind of see like what what was available like if i were to survive here and i had to fight someone like what would i use yeah. like oh there's like a pile of shit over there i'd probably throw them in that um and they really accredited <clears throat> that to one of the reasons that again made the film so believable like you know this this everyday man just using his surroundings to save his wife so you know i would have rather a, a a regular everyday man someone like a like an al borlin or a hank hill in a situation like you want this. an animated diehard that'd be kind of neat no well someone like hank hill <laughs> well i think i think for the, the time bruce willis was you know like the hank hill i mean look at him compared to at the time bruce willis right bills right. bruce willis has beefed up a little bit since then but at the time he was kind of a scrawny dude like look at him compared to like arnold schwarzenegger or sylvester stallone like he, he looks dad like vibes. a sm- yeah yeah dad vibes. definitely dad Bod vibes. <laughs> I would. I, I love that you um, you said he was the Hank Hill of that time. Bruce Willis. <laughs> he was. was the Hank Hill of the eighties. <laughs> he got hotter as time went on, and I thought he was, you know, like I said, childhood crush. So, Bruce Willis, give me a call. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Is he single? Uh, we'll we'll put some. I don't care. For you. I'm we'll, not. We'll find so. out. Speaking of uh, single, did you know he got married to Demi Moore while shooting this film? No, I didn't oh, know yeah. that. She broke up. I'm not surprised why she fell for him during this time. Yes. Yeah, yeah five million dollars. <laughs> oh, oh, she was recently oh, engaged. She was definitely I wonder, richer than I him. wonder if it was that because he she, he was she broke off an engagement to get married with to him. Yeah. So she's like, wait a minute, you got five million dollars in that? So you're all right. Oh, you're I think she actor. had more money than he did when that started. I think his fame happened after. She's like, oh, I don't have to pay for everything anymore. Cool. <laughs> or maybe she was just very like. like there's something. You know, like John McClane is like a romantic character. Like he he flew across the country to like win back his wife during Christmas. Like that's I think that to go to a work Christmas party. That's and try to win her back though. Like, but he just you know he left and he flew all that way. That there's a little bit of romance there, and that's something that I think I think I imagine that as actors and actresses, it's really hard to understand. Um, who you're falling in love with because everyone's pretending all the time. And that's why relationships don't work in Hollywood. So in you're opinion. saying that... Uh, so I think Demi Moore fell in love mar- with John McClane, but Bruce but Willis isn't isn't John McClane, yes. Although John McClane clearly is a problematic human considering so when, his flight attendant... When, when Demi Moore uh, married Ashton Kutcher... Ashton Kutcher. Did, yeah. I don't know if they got married. I think they did. They, just, they, they did, did get married. Yeah. Do you think she was just really into punking people at the time? Um. No. <laughs> I think. I think they loved each other, but I think that they're. I don't think it really always works when people are. Do you think that she... that honest with themselves and that far apart in age? Because you are very in very different places in life, and you can it. It would almost be impossible. Do you do you to think skip she one over the other? Do you think she used to put on that '70s show when her and Bruce Willis had sex? No, I don't think I, that. I I want to believe that that's what happened. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't even think Ashton Kutcher was like that much of an attractive human in that. Oh, show. you he was kidding like me? Idiot. I knew girls in high school really? that were like they like dumb oh, dudes. Kelso. Oh my god! No, I mean that was high style. school though, and he was like 19, so that's 
Well, Demi likes Still, him young. He's an idiot. She's grabbing them from the cradle. I'm like, I'm like 16. I have a crush on Bruce Willis. How old was he then? Probably 30. Super old. Yeah. In his 30s? In his 30s. Super old. So, yeah. We're all in our 30s right here. How old is he now? I'm going to Google this. He's old. He's 30, old. 32. He, he's, <laughs> he's not looking 32. quite as. He's I'm 32. Not, I'm not saying that Bruce no. Willis could still get it, but I'm saying at one point. He's Bruce he Willis. He can still get it. I don't, get th- it. I'm, yeah. I don't play that that game. He fucking, he just has to be like, I'm Bruce Willie. Sorry. Want to see my Willie? <laughs> he's 66 years old, dude. How old am I? I'm 37. How old am I? He's 29 years older than me. That's insane. He's good to go, though. John uh, I did, did want to mention a couple other uh, little tidbits about the, the Fox Plaza that they use for Nakatomi. Um, it appears in a couple other really cool movies. I don't know if you guys uh, were aware of this at all, but it's actually in Robocop 2. There's a, a commercial for Sunblock 5000, and you can see the, uh, the Nakatomi Plaza in the background because it was actually filmed at a hotel across the street. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, the uh, the same building is actually also in Fight Club. It's one of the first ones that explodes at at the end when they set off all like the the and van the, bombs and everywhere. then the Pixies play. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's also featured briefly in uh, in Speed. And uh, oh, that car driving by was pretty appropriate. Yeah, that was. I'm gonna keep that in. <laughs> Speed and uh, and Airheads with like Brendan Fraser. Did we pause to see if like we hear Adam Sandler come by or something like that? Or like that? a guitar solo. <laughs> the Lone Rangers. So it's uh it's a pretty famous building. I want to visit it and pee in it. Take a dump in it. <laughs> I like how quick you were on that dump right before oh, I yeah. said. I'm gonna call it Hans and flush it. I said pee. Um so there's a character I want to talk about real quick that uh, he says that I want maybe problematic stuff. Um, Ellis. <laughs> well, uh, Ellis, you know, I think he's made to be uh, problematic. But Tagagi, Takaki, am I saying it wrong? Takis? <laughs> Takagi. There we go. Takagi. Why can't I talk? Takagi. Who, uh, did you know George Takei wanted to play him? And they turned him down? Yep. And he was pissed. Dick he was, move. He wasn't happy about it. Uh, I think he would have done a great job. That was a really small role. Uh, but did you notice he? there's two references to Pearl Harbor? And the first one is when he first meets John McClane. And John says, like, oh, I didn't know Japanese celebrate Christmas. And Takagi says, we're flexible. Pearl Harbor didn't work out. So we, we got you to... We got you w- with these tape decks, and then the the code to the vault ah, is a I knew, kagi. Which I knew is, the password one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is one of the Japanese aircrafts that carried out the strike on Pearl Harbor. I never okay. knew that. So that's, that's so funny. weird. Like, did he hate America? I don't know. Uh, I mean, if he's Japanese, it might just be part of the culture. You know, it might be like a famous ship i guess or something like that he might maybe he's you know how there's like world war ii buffs yeah yeah maybe he's just a fan of and we did terrible the things nerdy that stuff we, like, uh, but actually i so actually um now that i think about it the uh the ship that the password is was the ship that the actor because he was in 
like a movie about Pearl Harbor or something like that. It was like the ship that he was like the captain of. So I think it was just like a nod to More that. More nod to like him be, being to like in a that past movie. role. Yeah. Okay. But still, I thought that was crazy. Um, I thought you were going to talk about Ellis and his uh. You really want to get to Ellis with his little uh, <laughs> yeah, nose candy problem. Well, I'm trying to think who else isn't he also? Didn't he say something like, um, or maybe someone else said it? I I put down a quote. I thought it was from Ellis where he's like pissed off at the camel jockeys. Maybe it's the Hebes. Yes, was that Ellis? That was Ellis. Yeah, I mean, plus he's just doing cocaine and spreading the talk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you notice, and I believe this was supposed to be a nod where, like, he when he's technically a hostage, like, pretends he's a hostage, and they give him a Coke. Oh, yeah, I think definitely p- off scene. He was like, do you guys have any Coke? Yeah, and they give him. A, they thought he meant the soda. Yeah, because there's, like a, like, a language barrier, and they're like, yeah, whatever, here, dude. Keep asking about it. <laughs> That's <laughs> a, I just wanted Coke. One of the worst fucking great characters. He was such a scumbag. Now, I, I was wondering, too, do you think him and Holly were fucking? Because. No. I, I think he was trying to. Yeah. But I think I that think was his that, intention. I think Holly is an independent woman who. She moved, don't need no man. Yeah. She, who moved to L.A. for herself and for her family, and John McCain stayed behind John like a McCain? fool. John McCain? Is that her other husband? Sorry. John Mc... what McClain. Is John McClain. McClain. <laughs> Isn't John McCain the John guy McClain. that ran for president? John McCain stayed behind like a fool. And He's a prisoner just, of war, damn but it. But really, she's just waiting for him to come, so she doesn't give a fudge about any other man. You can swear, because, it's fine. Okay. She doesn't give a fuck about yeah. any other man because she she's waiting for hers to show up and catch up to what she already knows. She took and the he's watch. Just a little, he's just a little slow. She took the watch. I'd take a free Rolex. Fuck yeah, why did hell he, yeah. Why did he feel comfortable doing drugs in her room? And like he they he acted pretty like, ooh, like this is normal. Okay, but not for nothing. And you wouldn't know this. He could just be a creep. Yes. Men are just gross sometimes about about women. I and, love how Nicole's and, just going <laughs> off on this. And they assume things that they shouldn't assume. And that's what that man assumes. Yep. Holly McClain McCl- <laughs> <laughs> doesn't give a fuck about him. She's just there to do her job. And I think she's good at it. So. Which is look damn fine if you ask me. I, I think that's not what her job is. But carry on. Uh, actually, in the, it's the movie industry, so that not to sound sexist. But again, they job. passed over. They could have had a way hotter broads, but they chose that that well, like really did. cute, beautiful mom. There was a couple playmates of the year in that in that movie. the The secretary trying to have sex in one of the rooms. Uh, I think actually the flight attendant was played by a playmate. So. But they were looking for someone who's more own. Was that in, like Bruce Willis's contract or something? <laughs> Must have at least three. No, playmates I, I need to talk movie. to a Playboy playmate every fifteen <laughs> minutes in the film, or I'm out. Between the years of 1975 and 1983, is that why there's one terrorist in a bikini the whole time? <laughs> Which terrorist is in the bikini? Hilda. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hans's younger sister. She's just got a machine gun, but wearing like, <laughs> bare, like a tiniest two-piece bikini. Okay, fun fun fact: Bruce actually did pick 
Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I didn't know that. He saw her in a movie, thought she was absolutely amazing, and then just like vouched for her. She's a badass in that film. Oh, yeah. She's fucking awesome. Like She's like, go to your fucking party. I'm still working. Like, she's just literally a boss. She's the original boss babe. Hashtag boss babe. She's like, everyone's going to start shitting everywhere if we don't take us to the bathroom. (laughs) You needed someone that was going to be like, be able to play without coming off being like, like someone with an attitude, somebody that's like definitely dated a New York cop. But also, do you guys remember the scene where the pregnant woman was like, do you think this baby can handle like a sip of champagne? And she's like, it can have a whole drink. Like, (laughs) what the fuck was that? Oh, that baby died after this. (laughs) The 80s were wild. That baby was born cool. No wonder we all need therapy. Actually, (laughs) that baby was me. Oh, that explains a lot. Hey, Andrew, who's in... uh... The Terminator again? Um, Paul Rubens. Who's, who's that guy from Kindergarten Cop? Arnold Schwarzenegger. 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 I know how to say it. Now I'm saying it on purpose now. Yeah. Because you made fun of me. But you know what I forgot to mention? You know also was not in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but was in a Ghostbusters movie? I do not. You don't. He was one of the terrorists. His name was Alex. No, wait, no, wrong person. Wilhelm von Homber. <laughs> like, yeah, like you know that name. He was a German boxer. Oh, but, Wilhelm. But whoa, also whoa, played wow. Rigo von Homber. <laughs> if you saw, you would, if you would recognize him, he played Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters oh, 2. Oh, I only, do know who that is. The only thing that I know about all of the villains in this film is that they all had long locks like Fabio. Like that's like that's all I could think about was they all did they have all like had long this be- hair. These beautiful, this beautiful long hair that I was mad jealous of. So. Well, I the, know one of the Johnsons was one of the the bad guys from the Goonies. Oh, one of, really? One oh. of the FBI agents. Oh, yes. How they Shut how they're, they're they're credited as Big Johnson and Little Johnson, like the two guys. I love their interaction in the plane where he's like, uh, "It's just like fucking Saigon, eh, slick." And then he's <laughs> like, "Was he say I was in junior high, Dick?" <laughs> I fucking love that. That reminded me of like a real like like a really rough draft of of what the dialogue for Men in Black was because he called them slick all the time. <laughs> I love Men in Black. It's it you know you 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 brought up how they were all blonde and it's funny that you said that because um, the first terrorist that gets killed, he, he the clothes he's wearing looks like he's wearing a terrible disguise. He's got like a white sweatshirt that I don't know looked like there should be like a tie dyed cat on it. It, it's not, but that's what it looks like. And he's wearing glasses and it looks like he should not be wearing that. Like that. Like it's like you do not look normal. <laughs> Which brings us to Carl, his brother. Carl, I got a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Uh, did you know that guy was a famous ballet dancer? Yes, I did, yes. I did know that. <laughs> I think wasn't it actually Holly? What was Holly's real name? Bonnie? Bonnie, Bonnie Bedelia. Bedelia. Sorry, just learned that today. Anyways, I think Holly was the one that knew of this ballet dancer and said that he would make a great addition to the crew. Probably. He's just so menacing. You should see him dance. Yeah, <laughs> I watched right? the video and he does look very menacing. Like he's doing these weird, like, you know, ballet dainty stuff, but he looks so intense. 
Like he fucking is he holding a machine gun while he does it? You have to imagine that that was also a very effective tool in the choreography of all of the stunts that they had to do, though. So oh, yeah, I can oh, see yeah. how that would be a good he, he crossover. Was like the best in it. Did you know in in the scene if you look when he gets hanged by John McClane? If you look in the background, you can see a small silhouette. That's him watching his stunt guy pretend what? to be like. Oh wow! No, yeah, so I he pretty much this. watched himself die. Creepy, like creepy. Yeah, it's unbelievable. One of the best Very scenes meta. that I never understand <laughs> when when I was a kid. Like that scene, I just don't understand. I feel like he wouldn't be alive at the end. I like when he's fighting Carl's brother later on, and he's like, "You should have heard your brother squeal when I broke his fucking neck." Well, Carl is not the brother. Carl's the, he's not the brother. Carl is the valley because remember, they're like tell Carl someone. Well, I said Carl's brother. Yeah, they, he had a brother. Oh, he had a brother. Yeah, yeah, but and Carl, that's the guy later and on. He's that, like, like oh yeah, the your brother's like you know you got to get down here to see your brother or something yeah. like no, that. No, no, he's the guy that crushes the there. walkie-talkie. Okay, yes. no, no, you were right, but I thought I thought you said um, he was okay. I fucked up. You oh, said, you didn't I hear me say brother. I thought you said he was telling Carl's brother. That he, like all that quote you said, but it was really Carl's the brother. Yeah. Yes. Talking talking about killing his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Killing his brother. I might have, I might have phrased it weird. You did, you fucking weirdo. Eat shit. Now, um. Eat it, Harvey. <laughs> now, there's, there's a scene there where, um, in that, um, Bruce Willis says something, John McClane says something awesome while he's fighting him. But I'm actually not going to say it because right now, if you if if Dan, you think it's early, I compiled together a clip of the very best Bruce Willis quotes in from this movie. Okay, I want to hear this. I'm very excited. Come out to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. I know what a TV dinner feels like. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? <laughs> That's Next my time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. That wasn't John McClane. Thanks for the advice. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> Sorry, Hans. Wrong guess. Would you like to go for double jeopardy where the scores can really change? Just the fly in the ointment, Hans. The monkey in the wrench. The pain in the ass. Always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequin shirts. Yippee ki motherfucker. You listen to me, you little asshole. I'm a asshole. I'm not the one who just got butt fucked on national TV, Dwayne. <laughs> this is it. I'm gonna fucking cook you. I'm gonna fucking eat you. Best quotes of the oh, movie. So good. And that when, was the ha- the Happy Trails Hans too was actually like a throwback to Roy Rogers because the outro song on that show was Happy Trails. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was like a good way to because he says that at the end of the movie when, yeah. when he kills him. And again, that was a throwback to a conversation that D'Souza had had with Willis when they had first met about their love for for Roy Wad- Rogers. And that's how the Yippie Kaye, because that was like something that the cowboy had said in the show. Yeah, he'd like sing a song. Yeah. And that's kind of how that 
that iconic line. And I remember reading that when they shot it, like the cr- like the crew lost their mind, and that's how they knew it was gonna be something super good. So it's I think fun. that's what, like you said before, made this movie so good because the random off scripted quotes and stuff like that that were uh, meant like off like mad lip things that just made this so great. Like I doubt it was scripted where he's like, first I'm gonna cook you, then I'm gonna beat you. Dang, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> the majority of the conversation between Hans, at the Dutch angle shots that we were talking about earlier, the majority of that interaction was like um, improvised. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's insane to think about how such, to hear about how haphazardly this film was put together, just to see it become something that was, you know, nominated for Academy Awards and shit. So oh, yeah, it's insane. Like even uh, there's a scene later on, like we were talking about earlier, when uh, when when Ellis is is basically talk talking to the terrorists. Um, there, there's a there's a point where he calls Hans Bubby, and that wasn't in the script. So Alan Rickman kind of looks over a little confused at first, like <laughs> just there's like a brief second on his face where he just looks really puzzled, and then he goes into his next line. But that was like genuine confusion because he was like, why did he call me? Like it wasn't in the script. And then he just rolled with it. So funny. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, you know, there's another actor we didn't really get too much into yet. Reginald Vell Johnson. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Great. Carl Winslow. Carl himself. Winslow. And he's such a cute human when he talks about his memories of this film. Because it really launched his career. Like, yeah, he like bought his mama house. Yeah, well, so good. He definitely and he's has, so adorable. Definitely has bragging rights because he got this movie over Wesley Snipes. Because when he went to audition for this, he saw Wesley Snipes in the in the room, like leaving, and he was like, "Well, I'm not gonna fucking get this." Yeah. He also beat Wesley Snipes out for Family Matters, so it was two for two. Wesley Snipes was going to be been in terrible no, Matters. It wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> I was like, that would have never worked. No, but he's he's just, you know, so grateful. And it's and so Rachel cute. And Johnson again. Yeah. And, and it was so, like, fun to hear about. If you go to Netflix, you can see, um, you know, like, the movies that made us. And, yes. and he's interviewed in that in that film or in that episode. And he talks about meeting Bruce Willis for film on the first time because he's like, you know, for the most of the film, our stuff was separate, just like their characters were. Yep. And it's so adorable to hear, you know, like his the version hug of the scene story. You're talking yeah, about, right? Yeah, yeah like it was, was like, genuine, was genuine, like, like so we're both ex- gonna be really yeah. rich after this. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> and and his mom was really like one of the few people that believed in him. And because I think he was like 32, yeah, 33 or yeah. something like that. And to think that this launched him into fan into into stardom enough to be able to be on Family Matters, like Carl Winslow would not have been who he was. Like, without yeah, he him. looks good as a cop. Make him a yeah. Cop. So let's get nine seasons of it. Insane to think about how many people this film really launch their careers from from nothing right it's really cool well let's be honest too the true love story of this movie is between john mcclain and sergeant absolutely Powell. no one gave a shit about whether or not holly and john Nimmy. yeah they all <laughs> wanted to know that they were gonna make it with carl winslow at the end everyone was just like kiss kiss because like even holly like even at that that scene there were like Holly's all bundled up and John is. And then you see the crowd of people part. <laughs> and there's Sergeant Powell, John looking at each other and like Holly, slow motion running towards yeah. each other. And Holly's <laughs> just looking up at John like and looking at him. who's 
who's that guy? Like, hello, I'm That's here. Al, baby. And he's like, ah, yeah, fuck yeah. So good. I'll drop my wife off. I'll see you at the hotel. But then Al's randomly like, I killed a kid once. <laughs> Shot him. Wait, way to ruin the the moment, Powell. <laughs> oh man, what a great film! I just I to go back to the original, you know, entry of this podcast. I simply do not understand people that can be in the camp of this is not a Christmas film. Yeah, like there's, I understand that it wasn't much. intended to be, but it is. I it's an iconic film outside of being a Christmas film. And then when you, I, I think you have to to include that in your assessment to think about the influence that this film had on future action films. But it is, if, if it wasn't Christmas, John McClane would have no purpose of being in LA. And I just do not understand how people could not con- consider this a Christmas film. They could have so. just said he was there for Arbor Day. But they didn't. They chose Christmas. Party. They have they have fucking Christmas decorations in that dude's office, like little Santas. There, he's whistling Christmas music dude, as he his like name walks is Tagagi. through the. The guy is dead. Say his name. <laughs> I don't know all their names. I'm just well. Kidding. Even when um when like the SWAT team comes and stuff like that, the like the classic hacker guy. I think it was played by his name was Theo. It was uh, Clarence Gilliard. Um, but he even has like the he's like twas the night before Christmas yeah. and all through the house and not for nothing it fucking snows in LA like that never happens like that is the like epitome of a Christmas film so well I think what makes people's movie. major argument is and people I've talked to about this is the definition of a Christmas film is like, what. Is what? That's what I wanted. Well, know. what most people will Tell say is say is that that the Christmas is the main theme of the movie. It opens up with Christmas. The problem consists around Christmas. Okay, okay. But I'm not. I, I don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying Get what em. people have argued with. That's what people think. If the theme is, I, not I mean, but their, their argument doesn't even stand up to the plot of the movie, yeah, though, because it does revolve around Christmas. It, it is, is a mentioned. Christmas theme. Yeah, but then, but then, you know. For I those simply people don't that, understand. Th- so for those people that think like poppycock, it has. I will to- die on this hill. Okay. <laughs> so with, so for people that think like, th- like they think of the genre of Christmas film and has say it has to be about Christmas, that doesn't make sense because when you watch a sitcom or a show and they have their Christmas episode, Christmas isn't typically the main theme of that episode, but you would still call it like we still call it the Christmas episode, yeah, because it is a Christmas. episode. Friends, the holiday armadillo. Like, what's that got to do with the holidays? But it is a Christmas episode. Like, what what determines whether or not it's a Christmas film? Is there, like, that's a genuine question. What do you guys think? What are things that people say make a Christmas film? Well, that's what I was telling you. People would say that Christmas. I, I feel like if the soundtrack includes Christmas songs, and Christmas is involved in the plot. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah, right? How could it's it not be? It's a Christmas party right off the bat. There you go. And so I'm, many rooms throughout the, like, he's jumping behind Christmas trees. I have a machine like gun. Ho, ho, ho. That, With a Santa a Christmas hat. hat. Yeah, yeah, Santa hat. That intro I played at the beginning, it's like like creepy jingle bells. Yep. Like, What's the name of the song with Run DMC? Christmas and Christmas, Hollis or Christmas time in Hollis. Yeah. You want me to cue it up? Christmas. Let's yes. cue up some. Let's uh, play some Run DMC right now. It was December 24th on Hollis Avenue, the dark. When I seen a man chilling with his dog at the park. 
So I did think that it was kind of cool. One little Easter egg that's in the film is all of the guns that the terrorists use are models that were manufactured in Europe. So it's just kind of one other little layer that they add to, you know, kind of show that they're not, you know, they're not using like domestic weapons or anything like that. That is a Um, fun one. Yeah. And I was telling Andrew, I've got a little tidbit about another prop as well. Um, So when, when he kills, I forget which, I forget if it's Carl, but when he, when he kills one of the terrorists, he takes a Zippo off of them. Do you remember that? Oh, is that when, I think that's the one um, he might've killed that gave the advice, you know, if you're going to kill someone, don't stall, just kill them. And then he kills them. Oh, okay. Is that when he like picks up the cigarettes and goes, that's right. Yeah. These are so bad for you. Um. So that same Zippo is a, a recurring character as well. We see that in Die Hard 2. He uses it to blow up a plane. There's a lot of things that they reuse in the other Die Hards. I think he says yippee ki motherfucker in every single one. That would make sense because it's like the catchphrase of the of the series at this point. But they bring back that Zippo. Like yeah. <laughs> like he kept it. I wonder. If mm-hmm. Wouldn't you keep it? I would. I'd keep it. I wonder if there's people that are like, it's that Zippo. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's using the Zippo. I also noticed, uh, like, when we first, we were talking about Reginald Vell Johnson's character, when we first see him and he's buying, like, Twinkies, <laughs> I noticed the, the the price of gas is less than 75 cents. Oh, yeah, like, I noticed oh, that, Oh, my too. God. It's like 74 and 9 tenths per <laughs> gallon. And I'm like, Can oh, my imagine? God. By the way. What convenience store clerk fat shames a cop? Yeah. Right, for buying Twinkies. Like, I can't imagine you're getting a lot of people coming in that late buying healthy snacks. I thought you guys like donuts. Why don't you buy donuts? Bro, you don't have any, so he's eating Twinkies. Sorry. For my wife, she likes Twinkies. Yeah, let the man be. Let the man eat Twinkies. He does get really nostalgic, though, talking about Twinkies when he's talking to John McClane on that mic, though. He's like, on the mic, I mean, uh, on the (laughs) walkie-talkie. The rap battling. (laughs) He's rapping about Twinkies. When when Al gets to Nakatomi Plaza, too, I noticed something this time, like this watch through that I didn't really catch before. Um you know, like how he, he comes through and he goes to check out the place and it, everything seems fine. So he goes to leave and uh, John throws like the corpse out the window onto the car. Walk into the party, pal. Exactly. Welcome to the party, pal. So Reginald Val Johnson's character, Al, starts like driving away in reverse super quick. And they really quickly, they cut to Argyle kind of like sitting in the limo, just like listening. Out. Yeah, just rocking out. But if you look at the limo in the back, I mean, not the limo, the cop car in the background is still racing through. And when it hits a bump, you see the body come flying off, like just <laughs> flip, flipping through the air. You think he was OK? I mean, it was already dead because it was the guy that John killed with like the, the one that he was like, no, shooting I through know. the table. I was, I was making a joke. Like, Did you notice that that table is also um, in the shape of the Nakatomi Plaza logo? That he's like spraying through, what? like no. if when they do like wide shots of the room, it's actually like the shape of the logo that they show on the front of the so building. Cool. Yeah. What did I this company do? They had they, a lot of money. They sold. Uh, I don't know. They had six hundred and forty million dollars <laughs> worth of whatever bearer bonds are. <laughs> that was that like real money? Isn't there a thing that says that like that would have pretty much come out to like not what they were saying that it would come out to? I don't know. I don't even know what a bearer bond is. Yeah. I don't even know how, if they'd be able to cash them. 
All that for nothing. <laughs> Just drilling into this safe. You know, with this smarts and setup, I feel like they could have robbed some easier location and made easier money. Right. Yeah, like actual money. It's like a bond, but um, it's only a paper bond, so it allows anonymity. It's is like that a- how the word is? Is that how okay. you say it? Anonymity. Right. But why were anonymity? these ones so important? Maybe because he had so much of them. So when they do get into the to vault, because because there's like you can steal them and then they're yours because there's no paper trail. True. Yeah, it's literally just this piece of paper. Whoever owns it, you can just owns exchange the bond. it. Yeah, cash like out. cash. It's like cash. Yeah. Um, when they do get into the vault to get those bonds too, there was another little. I don't know if you noticed the the painting that's in the vault too. Mm-hmm. I know you're a bit of an art buff, so I thought you might kick out of this. Uh, so the vault also contains, it's an. Edgar Degas painting. Uh, I might be butchering the last name, but it's called the Dance Class, and it was it was uh, created in, ni- in yep. 1873 with an estimated value of four to eight million dollars, and that was also it, like it's just kind of seen in the background of the vault. How did they get that? Wouldn't you just take that? Fuck the bonds. I mean, 640 million versus four. I'd take all of it. Yeah, but I just you're already in there. I'd be the guy being like, I don't know what to do. Maybe with Maybe they didn't know. Maybe they don't appreciate art. art. I feel they like it would be it harder to sell a individual. Was it like a ballet well. painting? Yeah, it was like yeah, a, yeah. it's like a dance class. Yeah, or maybe it was a print, but not if it was in a vault. <laughs> he just got it from like uh, what Bradley's at that time. There was <laughs> he bought it at Target. <laughs> there was, no, there was no Target. Then it'd be Bradley's. <laughs> they didn't. They definitely had Target. Kmart, nineteen eighty-eight. When would Target invent? Like nineteen late nineties. Really, I thought Target was around my whole life. (laughs) Were you born in a Target? Like, (laughs) and I'll die in a Target. (laughs) I was born in a Target, and I'll die in a Target. (laughs) Jesus Christ! I'm googling it right now. But like, yeah, like he just went and got Bradley's. He really liked it, and he put it in the safe. 1975. So yes, Target was around in Minneapolis. So I don't know if it was a thing on the east or west coast. It was out in LA because it was a Midwest start. In New England here, I just remember living near Bradley's, and then I cut my leg open behind a Bradley's and almost died. (laughs) Ew. There was we did not have Bradley's back home in Iowa. That's not a thing. In Revere, there was a lot of broken glass at the park behind Bradley's. Is that where you were? Uh, I was smoking weed behind the dumpster behind Bradley's like a classy young adult. And I went to step over a box that had pieces of a broken window in it. And it stabbed me in the back of the knee and then then snapped off. I had like a two and a half inch shard of glass in my leg. You're like John McClane. Yeah. I had to to go to the ER though. And I I lost so much blood I couldn't remember my address. (gasps) That's terrifying, dude. It was pretty bad. I almost so died. So gross. I was like just trying to get high before going to see The Exorcist, and I never got to go to the theater. <laughs> yeah. that, do you, Did you ever it, get to see the film? Um, you never I, saw The Exorcism? No, I've never seen it. What? The Exorcism? Sorry, The Exorcist. Is that the sequel? Sist. Yeah, I went to go. No, I went to go. It was like He's they, re, they re-released it. it in theaters, I, and I was I, supposed I, to go see it. I actually, All right, well, I, I have, think that definitely has to be added to your guys' list. Yeah, then, I actually so. have something to admit to. I've what? also never seen The what? Exorcist. What? Even when they re-released it, like in the early, like late '90s, all my friends were going to see it, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I was trying to go see it, and then I ended up bleeding out in Burlington." 
Well, that's a fair excuse, but it's not an excuse. How old were you when that happened? Uh, I was like, like nine. Pro- uh, I'm just kidding. No, it was like freshman year of high school or something. Okay, like so that. it's been at least what fifteen years. That's generous. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> you've had fifteen years to rewatch this film. Shame, shame. <laughs> a busy man. Shame. I got to watch The Office every other day. I do love that show. <laughs> I don't know. I gave a boner noise on the. Was there a cat in there too? <laughs> boner notice. It was boner my notice. There's a boner notice. <laughs> um, can so we th- just talk about how bad Bruce Willis must have smelled? Like, oh yeah, or, or John McClane. I disagree. Rather? I disagree. That 100%. end scene when he the, the shot- start of the movie, his mm-hmm. he's got mm-hmm. a crisp mm-hmm. white mm-hmm. shirt, and by the end, it is just like brown. Yeah, I, I feel like the ladies will agree with me on this one. I, I guarantee know. he did at, not smell bad at that know. end when he's like, Hans! and he's just like shuffling. Hi, honey. He looks like he's. I bet a, he smells like a burnt Italian sub. Yep. I don't know. I bet it smells <laughs> a amazing. burnt Italian sub <laughs> or burnt wiener schnitzel because he is German. But he wasn't wah, necessarily wah, German. Yeah, play, play like wah. crickets or something at that yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> I should add a womp womp like on this. It's just womp 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 womp. Ah, man. I think when sweaty dudes are doing like hot dude shit, they probably smell good. So I No. Yes. No. Oh, it's fair. So how would he smell? How do you think? Looking at that scene, like, like, think of it right like now. Like badassness and sex. No, 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 no. That's don't, how I think he give, smells at the end. Like, I mean, like, like a high school a locker room. Sometimes that's sexy when a you're a kid. Bag? No. Yeah. Like, have you ever smelled Cole's a pair just of going to fucking There's nothing the gym and than smelling that. like hearts. Yeah. I'm from Iowa. <laughs> uh, I don't usually smell other dudes. Oh pants. my god, dude. I got in trouble once. <laughs> That's why he's not allowed to go near any elementary schools. I go to elementary schools every day. <laughs> every day. And that's true. And for people that don't know Dan, it's not because he's a pedophile. No. Yikes. Yikes. This I just, I really enjoy the lunches. This escalated. <laughs> this fucking 30 year old guy just shows up here for lunch. Good meals. Chicken nuggies. Hey. Friday's pizza day, baby. Taco Tuesday. So I, you know, we we talked about all these quotes from everybody else, and like, and uh, John McClane. But I feel like, and I put a, another clip together about this because I feel like Dwayne T. Robinson, played by Paul Gleason, has one of the best lines in these move in this movie, and I felt like he didn't get enough love, so I made this little clip just for him. Maybe not LAPD, but he's definitely a badge. How do you know that? A hunch. Things he said. Like being able to spot a phony ID. Jesus Christ, pal. Give me a fucking bartender for all we know. It's crazy. There could be over 30 hostages in there for all we know. We don't know shit, pal. If there's hostages, how come nobody's come to us with ransom demands, huh? If there's terrorists in there, where's their list of demands? All we know is that somebody shot your car up. It's probably the same silly son of a bitch you've been talking to on that radio. Excuse me, sir. But what about the body that fell out the window? Well, who knows? It's probably some stockbroker got depressed. <laughs> We're ready. Yikes. Kick ass. Go. Did you hear that? He just let the guy die, man. He just gave him up. Give me that headset. 
That's like pulling the trigger Christ, yourself. Christ, man, can't you see what's happening? Can't That's you cold. read between the lines? It's on the right channel. Yes, sir. He did everything he could to save him. If he gave himself up, they'd both be dead right oh, now. No way, man, no way. They'd be talking to us. No, 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 darling. Asian Dawn. Dawn. D-A-W-N. Not Dawn. Yeah. Not Dawn. The FBI is here now? Yes, sir, right over there. What a breath, man. Oh, Christ. I'm gonna need some more FBI guys, I guess. I thought it was funnier than <laughs> probably anyone else, but I, I thought his character was uh was one of the best char- like funny characters. Except Robert Ebert hated that character and is why he gave this movie a very bad review. I don't know that I necessarily put much stock in Robert Ebert. Like, I care a little bit about his par- opinion, about but his not Roger? a lot about his opinion. I mean, Roger. Yeah. Oh, Roger. <laughs> Roger Ebert. I don't even care what his I fucking name yeah. is. Okay, well, yeah, that's how little I care about his opinion. I care a little bit about it, but not a lot of it. Like, I think, like, he probably has some interesting perspectives because he's obviously considered an expert in the film world. But at the end of the day, like you don't get to tell me what's entertaining. And I'm sorry, man, fucking Die Hard is entertaining. Fuck yeah. Fuck you, Roger Ebert. And like literally Robert Ebert. That's what we're calling (laughs) that. The the line that you played in the clip too, the, he was a fucking bartender is actually like a, like a little poke at Bruce Willis because before his acting career took off, that's what he was doing. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I believe that. Look at him. He probably had tons of tips, too. What happened to Bruce Willis, though? Because he's like, he he's shimmied into the epitome of fame, like Sixth Sense and Armageddon. And now he's fucking making shit ass movies. And I just want to be like, well, please the, stop. Um... Like Trauma Center on Hulu. Like, what? Wasn't he in that uh, M. Night Shyamalan trilogy too? Like Unbreakable and like That's Mr. Mr. Well, the know. first I, one I was good. He was in Mr. Glass, was right? Yeah, he, he was in all three of those movies. Um, it was, yeah, Unbreakable was really good. Fantastic. Um, but I think I think the, the problem with that is, Nicole, it's he's so huge now that it's really hard to put him in any other role where you're just like, oh, it's just Bruce Willis. Because like, there's probably a couple movies that have come out recently that might be good, but when I see it, I'm just like, it's just a typical action Bruce Willis movie. Bruce Willis just being badass. Like, that's what he's yeah. just typecast as now. Yeah. But when he does break But maybe off, he could pick better badass films because he doesn't seem to be that picky lately. It's my probably opinion. easier. How Beggars many li- can't be choosers. How many lines do you need to remember when you're just shoot, shoot? Like Yeah, but then those films suck and eventually people are going to be tired of watching you in those. He and- has all the money in the world. Ugh, he's, he, he, he's, I wouldn't be he's surprised if, now. He, if, he re- if he retires in the next like 10 years. Bruce, get it together is what I'm trying to say. Like I love you and I... I'm coming from a place of love, but get it together. I hope he retires in 10 years. No. Then he'll be like Clint Eastwood, who's got a new movie Never coming retired. Out, and he looks Never like retired. he's going to die any minute of it. Yeah. And, and by the way, Clint Eastwood is the ultimate badass. Like that man is... Amazing in everything watch that he comes. I just like, watched like fucking Cry Macho and I loved it. What does Clint Eastwood look like? He smells like <laughs> dirt and like sex. horses, old leather, <laughs> orgies. Yes. <laughs> old le- old leather, old and lesbians. Horses. No horses. 
old like lesbian horse. He looks like he smells like a farm, which, by the way, obviously smells has like sentimental shit. value to me. Oh, well, yeah, but it does smell pretty bad. No, you don't understand. I know. I it doesn't didn't smell grow up in bad. A farm. I've been to farms. They're stinky. They're not. I mean, yeah, but no. Yeah, but no. They're sexy, stinky. Yeah. But my yeah. point was, like, if you see the new trailer for Clint Eastwood's movie, he looks so old. He looks like he's going to, even as he's saying his lines, it looks like he's, like, holding on to the wall to be like, yeah, I'll help, help you. It's probably windy, man. <laughs> it's going to blow him away. I love Clint Eastwood. I watched Space Cowboys recently with him, and it was fantastic. My dad loves, like, oh, one of my so dad's good. favorite movies is the outlaw Josie Wales. That's, like... He watches that all the time. It's so good. I love him. Is there anything else we want to discuss about this movie? Is there anything else that we didn't bring up? Um, do you guys have anything on your notes you want to go over? Uh, I did think it was cool how um, how he ends up like detonating the C four in the in the elevator shaft using the old monitor because you couldn't do that with like a new monitor like the one in front of you. If you were to throw that down an elevator shaft, it wouldn't explode. But with CRT monitors, the way that they worked, you know, with the gas trapped inside and stuff, like I, it's probably not the most environmentally friendly thing to do. But in high school, I used to go around and when people would throw those out, I would go to like, there was a parking garage that was near my house that was like 10 floors and I would chuck them off because they explode and it's like really bright. Super safe. Super safe. What you're saying. (laughs) Uh, So it was just kind of cool that that's basically how he detonated the C4 by just like smashing a CRT monitor. It was really cool. One of the requirements of the director when he took on this project was that the top of the building had to blow up because he was known for these insane action films that you traditionally saw with guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Get it right. Um, so he wanted the top of the building. And so when they had to film that, like computer graphics weren't like super accessible. And the special like miniatures and stuff. Yeah, they had to like five have this like little tiny helicopter fall off this building. And they were watching it in real life going, I don't know if this is gonna work. This looks like such shit. And when the director saw it, he's like, That's amazing. <laughs> That's great. And they That's were like, the shot. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's just such like a fun part of because to imagine being part of that creative team, having to come up with that and to see it, you know, at the end, look the way you want it to on film must have been quite exciting. So I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah they that, definitely pulled off a lot of crazy stunts. They and, did. And I like that a lot of it is just real fire and explosions. Even if it's smaller scale, I feel like it looks better than digital. Stuff. Agreed. Yeah. Which is uh, probably run to definitely more now. And I feel like the more popular movies lately is when they tone it down on that and they go back to the old ways. Yes, I spoke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at, at the end of the movie, too, I like that uh, that Al gets like his his Christmas wish and he can kill again because he like shoots that <laughs> tower. But then Christmas I noticed wish. he also... Uh, because the the limo comes flying out of the building, he almost shoots at it. like. Imagine if he's been traumatized this whole time because he accidentally shot like a young boy, and then as soon as he gets his confidence back, he kills Argyle, Argyle. for like driving <laughs> out of the building. That would have been awful. He sensed a child inside, so he he, he just like he I'm heard the shooting. run DMC coming, and he's like, "Wait, <laughs> so good. It is Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. <laughs> it is Christmas time." You know what I almost forgot that like Alan Rickman was like in pain for most of this movie. He like hurt his foot 
or something in his leg like the first day. And for most of the movie, there's some scenes where they try not to show his legs. I guess he's wearing like a leg brace I for like most of the movie. That's cool. That's gonna suck. <laughs> like I know they one. purposefully did like the the shot that we talked about earlier where he falls off the building. They did that last in case he got hurt. Yeah, th- that was his last <laughs> shot. Because ca- they literally just like three, two, release. And he was literally terrified. They're like, oh, if you break your leg or something, nope, we don't want to fuck up our day. Fall. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's uh, everything I have to cover about this. Dan? Uh, I mean, the only other thing I had on here is I liked a lot of the lens flares that they use in this movie. I thought it was pretty tastefully used or it, done. Sometimes you see it and it's a little bit over or heavy handed. Well, like, I, uh, I know how you feel like J.J. Abrams. You fucking Yeah. But I like the use of the uh, the lens flares here. A lot of good shots in this movie. Like so many. What would you see, say before like, you know, we close the conversation and go to our first segment? Um, I'll go down the line and then I'll say mine. I'll ask you, Nicole, because you're our guest. What would you say was like your favorite scene, like shot wise? You know, that's really hard again, because to, to, to determine what my favorite shot is, is, is challenging because this film has been with me for so long or something that, that you very a lot like. of my my favorites are going to be more due to the characters and content on screen versus the cinematography. Like when you look at the beginning, there's this shot that looks like a drone shot and it so quickly transitions to um, John McClane at the airport. Like it's really fascinating cinematography. But I think that for so long, I didn't necessarily appreciate that as a viewer that like forever, my favorite scene is always going to be related to the to the quote of yippee Kaye, motherfucker, <laughs> because it's so iconic. And it was like the epitome of like everything that people loved about action films back then, like badass people. But at the same time, it's coming from this character that they're so unfamiliar with. This, like, person that they considered wimpy that's hiding. That's just, like, he's just, like, the everyday man trying to win his family back. That I think forever will be probably my favorite part of the film. Okay. Dan? So, uh, I'd say it's probably tied for me. My two favorite shots in the movie are probably, uh, I really like when he's in like the air ducts and he flicks the lighter and he's like, come out to the coast. We'll have a few laughs. Such a good shot. I really, yeah, I really like that. Uh, I feel like that's just fucking iconic die hard. Like when you think of the movie, that's one of the scenes that you think of. Uh, And that kind of goes hand to hand with one of my other favorite scenes is I really like when he's on the roof and they blow it and he, he wraps the, uh, the fire hose around his, his waist and you see him jumping off and there's like the, the fire pluming up behind him. I just feel like that's such a, such an iconic classic, like action shot. I just really love it. Yeah. Well, which Bruce Willis started that stunt himself, which is so badass. Yeah. Like that's actually him in front of the flames. <laughs> yeah. It's not him swinging down and no. hitting, hitting the window, but like still he actually, don't. yeah. And he was on like the edge of a building. Yeah. You actually stole what my favorite was. That was <laughs> that. That's that's my favorite scene as well because it's it's really well shot. And I'll even, share it with you, buddy. Even like the next part, I thought was even kind of comical at the same time when he's on the building and then he goes to swing and the glass doesn't break. So then he has to like shoot the window as he's swinging into it, and then like the spool thing falls. Oh, and- that scene is. I will say that's probably my second scene. Like how you just kind of like 
his reaction because you know obviously it gets a slight tug but like the way he shows that it's fucking heavy and it's dragging him down out to the window you know love that that whole scene's really good yeah there's a lot of great shots in this movie well, Dan, I would say that probably wraps up our full discussion of Die Hard. Uh, now, let's let's get to the age-old question. Does this hold up today? As our guest, we will go with you first, Nicole. I think um, not just us, but I think a large part of society in general is still talking about Die Hard nearly you know, over 35 years later. So yes, I think this film holds up and I think it will be a, a classic for time to come in the world of action films, but I also hope people continue to love it as a Christmas film in the years to come. So it's my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, the film itself is just a classic and it's one, of, like, like we've mentioned, it's one of those ones that I watch every year. So it's really just become like a tradition as well. It's something that I look forward to. Um, but I feel like a new viewer could still walk in and watch this movie fresh. And it's, it's so enjoyable that you'd love it just as much as if you were to watch it in the theater in 1988. Yeah, that's a really good point. Timeless yeah. is, yeah. is basically... And what I was looking for there. Of course, I agree with both of you because um, the thing that also makes an old movie like this, you know, hold up today, there's not much in it that would age it. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's yeah. not a lot of like old technology and stuff like that. Though I can see some newer, younger people being like, "Why doesn't he just use a cell phone?" And that's you know, we have to remind young people that that was not a thing back then. Car phones. Well, eighties <laughs> did, didn't they have like huge obnoxious cell phones? Well, they had car phones. Argyle had when he says, "Call me on the car oh, yeah, phone. That's I'll, right. I'll wait that's for right. you if you like hit it home. I'll drop off your luggage. If not, I'll get you a hotel. Just call me on the car phone." <laughs> there we go. Old technology yeah. right there. But again, like I said, there's there's not a lot that really ages this movie, and it's probably used for a lot of things in film. You know, and even the soundtrack, film. I feel like the songs are still used in Christmas movies or just movies in general today. But yeah, Christmas movies. Yeah, Muppets Christmas Carol. But it gave us like a whole other genre or or type of hero and action films that right. forever evolved. This changed today. it. This changed it yeah. forever. And that is why this holds up. And, and um, you know, this it, goes into what I was saying. You were saying, Nicole, like. This has influenced a lot of things now today. For example, this clip that I showed Dan earlier from Bob's Burgers where Gene does a whole play on Die Hard. Okay, well, without any further ado, we present to you the musical rom-com slash action thriller, Work Hard or Die Trying, Girl. Gruber, consider yourself groomed. Desmond Gill can't let a bunch of terrorists ruin her dream. I hope the police come soon. I'll blast her jump glitch me. I'm Agent Johnson, and I'm Agent Johnson, and we're from the FBI. I'm Johnny Johnson, he's Johnson. I'm Johnson, two-fifth-foot federal guy. I might just be a local cop. Will you guys back off me? Things are getting pretty tense. Does anybody want 
All right. Well, with that said, uh, I think we're at my favorite portion of the show where we like to take a look back at the film and figure out if we were to recast it with Jeff Goldblum, where would we put him? Yeah, that's a strange thing to do. All right, Nicole, as our guest, we're going to let you go first. If I was to recast the film and had to include Jeff Goldblum, I would include him and I would swap out Argyle and I would make him the limo driver. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I think that Jeff Goldblum always plays like a very curious character. And I think that would have been, you know, Argyle is very much a clueless character. So I think it would have been interesting to see how the film might have changed had Jeff Goldblum been, you know, more in on the mission. So. Okay. Might have been less bloodshed. Start punching people out. Yeah. I like that. All right, Andrew, what about you? Where would you put Mr. Goldblum? Mr. Mr. Takagi. Mr. Ooh. Takagi? And just, right, like just say he's Asian and just have him just be him and just... I like that. <laughs> like, Just don't explain why his last name is Takagi. Yeah, it's like with me. My last name's Gonzalez and people are always like, what? And it's just like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I remember that guy that thought that I was like Spanish. Yeah. Yes. He's and like, he you must be Andrew Gonzalez. And, he and I was like, you why? Horribly. Yeah, he was just really mean to me. <laughs> so Dan, where would you stick our boy? All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say I would I would cast him as Ellis. I, I think it would be kind of similar to the role that he played in uh Jurassic Park, where okay. he's a little bit like undermining to the to the boyfriend and just kind of like you know, s- taking little subtle jabs, but also uh, I think he would provide a li- little bit more uh, comic relief than that's true than the guy who played Ellis. I uh, think you're right. That's yeah. actually a perfect, be perfect character. For yeah, him. I think Only he would more really shine. Time though, because I I didn't yeah. see him enough to put him. But we the guy that played him, we, he, his face was weird. We didn't want to see more of that's that true. guy. That's true. That's true. We were okay with not seeing. I do love Jack. Mr. Yeah, maybe maybe Mr. they rewrite Smiley. it so at the end of the movie is Bruce Willis and. Jeff Goldblum with their shirts off, swinging on a hose. Swinging on a hose. Speaking of hoses, Dan, what are we watching next week? (laughs) (laughs) That's your segue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A movie with no hoses. (laughs) Well, when I think of hoses, the first thing I think of is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, wow. (laughs) Home Slice has a big hose. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Look or, at the or dude. Sinbad. Uh, so yeah, we're we're gonna Sinbad. take a look at uh, another personal favorite, Jingle All the Way. Turbo Mom. So great. Turbo it's Mom. Turbo Time, baby. <laughs> hey, you think that's what he says when he uses his dick? Turbo Time. It's turbo. I hope so. It's Turbo Time. No, I think he Ew. says you just got Schwarzenated. Oh <laughs> God. Oh my God. I am the Schwarzenator. Well, if you disagree with us or have any questions and want to tell us how wrong we are that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, fuck it's you! Not. <laughs> you can reach out to us at moviehopping at gmail.com. That's moviehopping at gmail.com. And, you know, we do have the Facebook and Instagram. You can always reach out to us on that. And as always, we'll reply with a Yuletide dick pic. <laughs> Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and fuck you, Dan. And Nicole, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, fuck you too. But if you really hold me tight.